support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so that you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Also, thanks to Harry's for supporting Motley Fool Answers. This holiday, give Harry's and give handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping. To get a limited edition holiday shape set while supplies last, go to harrys.com slash fool right now. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Hi, bro. Ho, 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 Allison. <laughs> I hope you guys liked last week's episode because I'm back with five more ways that marketers will get you this holiday season. We'll also answer your question about term versus whole life insurance. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers, Answers, and today's question comes from Ziv, who I believe we have, we have answered a question from before, but yes. bro liked this one. We like so good questions. We're going to go for it. Ziv writes, we are a married couple in our mid-twenties with kids on our minds. Should we buy term life insurance and deal with its steep premium increases at renewal time? Or should we buy into whole life insurance, which will force us to save money for the future despite its higher management costs? Well, Ziv, you're doing the right thing that you're considering getting life insurance once you have kids. That's the time of life to do it. If you don't have kids, and if you're married and your spouse is adequately employed, you probably don't need life insurance. But once you have kids, that's definitely time to do it. And both spouses should consider getting it, even if only one is working. So, good time to be thinking about it. So, the difference between term and whole life is term is pure insurance. And you just buy it for a certain amount of time, known as the term. And you can do it one year, five year, 10 year, 20, 30 year. So, whole life has insurance, but also has a tax-deferred savings component. So, you can build up a cash value that you can either borrow against or use in retirement. So it's sort of a combination of insurance as well as building up your net worth. The problem is it often takes over a decade to build up a significant cash value. And people often consider it permanent insurance because you can hold on to it for the rest of your life as long as you pay the premiums. Uh, and the premiums do stay level, which is nice. So once you sign up for it, and you are told it costs a certain amount, you know you just have to pay that every year. The term, if you set the term, let's say you buy a 20-year term, 20 years up, you need more life insurance. If you go back to get more, it's going to cost you more. Because you're older. Because you're older, right. So, on paper, whole life always looks better until you look at the cost. Because of the savings component, and because, frankly, there's some other embedded costs in there, it's much more expensive. And it's not just a little bit more expensive. So, According to an article on NerdWallet, let's say you are a 30-year-old male, want to get a million dollars insurance, 30-year term, it's going to cost you $720 a year. A million-dollar whole life policy is going to cost you $9,200 a year. Wow. So it's a huge difference. So what people often do when they like the idea of whole, but they can't afford that, they then say, well, maybe I'll just get a smaller policy and I'll get a $500,000 policy instead of a million dollars. But then you're underinsuring yourself. And when you think of a couple in their 20s just having kids, maybe buying a house, they're not going to be able to afford that type of premium at the outset or maybe later down the road. What often happens with these whole life policies is that people decide five, 10 years into it, I can't afford this policy. And then they drop it. Mm-hmm. And so they're back to, to, to square one at that point. So for most people, it's best to go with the term. 
I think at least 20 years or 30 years, what you're really looking at is covering, having enough insurance so that you're covered until your kids are out of the house. So what I've done is I've gotten a 20-year policy the first time a kid was born. Next time we had a kid, I got another 20-year policy. And that's how I've done it. And I think that's a good base way to approach it. Because uh, I think when we went to shop around for life insurance, they said to get a policy for your earning years. Yeah, and, and you could do that. And that and 30-year will probably cover a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the truth is, once the kids are out of the house, assuming that all along the way you've been saving for your retirement, assuming that you have been building your career, assuming your spouse might have a career too, if the kids are out of the house and they're taken care of, one of the spouses passes away, let's say, in their mid-50s. The other spouse should be still okay. But some people don't feel that way. They want that have that insurance all the way up into retirement. And you can do that. You can get a longer-term policy, but it's going to cost you more. How do you figure out... how? Because you threw out the numbers, 500000 and $1 million. Yep. How much do you figure out how much insurance you need? So The, the rough rule of thumb is 10 times your salary, which... Um, is surprisingly good as rule of thumbs go. I mean, there are plenty of calculators out there on the internet in which you factor in all kinds of things. Um, you know, whether you wanted to pay off your mortgage or not, but ten times your salary is pretty good. Gross, gross yeah. salary before yes. taxes. All yes, that. before okay. taxes. Even though the good thing about life insurance is that it is tax-free, which is nice. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. And Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. It's So last week, we talked about five ways that marketers will get you. Uh, we intended it to be 10 ways that marketers will get you, but I ended up being kind of long-winded and chatty. So we turned it into two episodes. So. Lucky for all of you. Hey, thanks, it's bro. It's the truth. It's I appreciate truth. that. So before we get into five more ways that marketers will get you this holiday season, let's revisit what we learned last week. So we talked about urgency and scarcity. So this is when advertisers talk about time being limited or supplies are limited, so you have to act now. Um, I was thinking also just the fact that Christmas is a day creates a sense of urgency, right? Like if you could just buy gifts for yeah. for someone anytime during the year. You would never do. Yeah, Rick's shrugging. He's like, I would never buy anyone a present. Um, We also talked about decoy pricing. That's where marketers kind of toy around with the prices for items, so you feel like you're getting a deal. We also talked about price anchoring. This is sales and markdowns, so that you get context for how much you think something is worth. We also talked about scents and smells. I I went to the outlet mall last weekend. The only place that smelled good was J. Crew. Really? Yeah, I noticed. I would open the door. (laughs) And some of the stores, honestly, it was like, ugh, they kind of hit you with the fa- in the face because they didn't smell good. Um, but J. Crew was a, was the one where I opened it, so I opened it up, and I'm like, okay, that does kind of smell familial because <laughs> it wasn't co- quite like pine or woody. But I was like, oh, it smells nice in here. <laughs> I didn't buy anything. Uh, we also talked about treat yourself and how marketers are trying so hard to get you to buy things for yourself while your wallet's already open and you're out there. Uh, I at my you can tell I don't really go shopping that much because all of, all I have to rely on is this one trip to an outlet mall for my examples. But at my aforementioned trip, 
I made a list. I put my blinders on, and I stuck with it. And I did not buy anything for myself. So good for you. Thank you. Hey, thanks. Um, all right. So you ready for five more? I am so ready. Ways that marketers will get you this hol- not just this holiday season, but throughout the year. So. First, we're going to talk about a new trend in Black Friday, and that is the tribal bonding aspect. You're making a face at me. (laughs) A confused face. So, in previous years, uh, most stories around Black Friday talked about the frenzy, right? Like people are waiting in line and they're going to all get in there and then they're going to punch each other in the face for a PlayStation and Merry Christmas, everybody. and so you see a lot of stories this year about, I notice, about the death of Black Friday and how we're all going to move to online shopping and how Black Friday won't be so much of a big deal in the future. But there were a few articles also this year that talked about tribal bonding and how uh, Black Friday is not just about like uh, going and getting good deals, it's about psychologically getting together with your friends and family and how it creates this bonding moment. So, if you think about it, um, it's almost like you're all going into battle together. <laughs> so, you know, you eat your Thanksgiving feast, um, you proceed to put on your battle armor of like warm winter coats, and you got your folding camping chairs. You storm the castle, also known as a Best Buy or a whatever, and then you fight with other consumers for items. And then you go home again and you sit by the fire and you drink from a mighty horn, or maybe just a mug, (laughs) and you share your war stories. You talk about the deals you got, and you're all there and together. And so, it's almost like you're going into battle with your family, and it's reinforcing bad behavior at times, because you're more likely to punch someone in the face um, for a fingerling. Apparently, that's a thing this year that is all the rage. Um, If your sister is like by your side and like irately screaming at you to do it. like You're all getting together, and you're going out there in force. And so, one headline in USA Today actually declared Black Friday as the day of mother-daughter bonding. Oh, <laughs> isn't that sweet? That's so nice. So, I think, uh, and experts also think that because of this tribal bonding, uh, like it's, you know, there are articles about uh, sisters, like sisters who every year, while the men are watching football, they all get together and they go to the mall. That Black Friday is probably not going to go away anytime soon as long as people make it like part of their holiday tradition. I have to say, this is the first year in many years we did not go home to Florida for Thanksgiving. And that is part of the tradition to get yeah. my mom and my sisters. And we go out. We, did, didn't, we didn't do it this year because it was just us at home. And I, <laughs> I kind of missed it. I have did to you? admit, I kind of missed it. Because you do. You sit around, you look at all the deals. I have to say, my, I think that from a retailer perspective, there's got to be some sort of you see someone else spending money, makes you feel comfortable spending money. Yeah, My sisters like to spend money, so it's probably better for my pocketbook. I didn't go with them, but I can understand from a retail perspective why that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. Clan Brocamp went out there and they fight the other clans (laughs) for Christmas deals. You missed that. I'm not surprised. I'll point out last year that we also had our dog with us, who's like 15 pounds, and I smuggled the dog into a Target. Everyone loved it except for the Target employees. Oh, oh, you think some of them would secretly love it? Probably secretly. Was it a dire wolf? No. (laughs) To aid you on the battlefield? Uh, My sister in law loves to go Black Friday shopping, and sometimes we'll go do Thanksgiving at their house, but she doesn't like to buy anything when she goes shopping. So we're basically just fighting for a parking space for like an hour just to like walk around a mall. And I'll, if I'm at a mall, I'm going to buy something because I'm 
I'm going to go bored if I don't. And so I always, like, I just always, and no, I never really got that tribal bonding feature because I think we just were there for different reasons. So. And, you've, you, and I, I think I would, if you're with someone who's <laughs> super frugal, you, yeah, feel a little, you feel a little shamed if you, yeah. <laughs> you spend yeah. Second way that marketers will get you is Christmas creep. What's that? You don't, oh, you know what Christmas creep is. It's the idea that marketers start advertising holiday oh, stuff even yeah, yeah, before yeah. Halloween. Yes. So there's a psychological reason why that happens. Oh, I'm glad to hear it because I'm always curious. It, seem, it does seem to get earlier. At Costco this year, they had Christmas trees up before Halloween. We went. We went to Michael's to get something for Halloween, and the and the Halloween stuff had already been packed up, and they had the Christmas stuff coming out. Crazy. We sound like old people <laughs> complaining, but it's true. All right. So there's a reason why this is happening, and it comes also from the um, concept of anchoring. We talked about price anchoring last week, and that's a slightly different concept. In that um, we uh, we like markdowns because. Uh, the if we look at a tag and it says originally ten dollars now for eight dollars we get a, we we anchor to that first data point which is that it's ten dollars and now it's eight dollars yay we feel good we got a deal um, so anchoring is at play here in that we make decisions based heavily on the first information we receive so marketers are in a race to be the first information that you get around the holiday season so when the holiday flyer comes from Macy's babbling about their awesome sales. Marketers hope you'll be more likely to go to Macy's. Interesting. And so, also at work here is the Bader Meinhof phenomenon. Yeah. Do you know this one? No. Which is when you you do know this one. It's when you notice something once and then you start noticing it everywhere. Okay. Yep. And so, Christmas creep means that advertisers have more time, have longer runway to keep getting their ads in front of you over and over and over again. Their billboards, their emails, their catalogs. You're getting hit from all all directions. Um, because I, of course, went last week. You know, I went to the Neiman Marcus website to look at their holiday catalog. I am getting stalked by Neiman Marcus catalog ads everywhere I go yeah, online, and yeah. it's killing me. <laughs> you don't want that fifty thousand dollar refrigerator? Uh, I'll take it. Are you offering? <laughs> Did you, do you need to make a return? Don't go to the trouble of making a return on my account. I will take the fifty thousand dollar fridge. I don't have room for it in our teeny tiny house, but. All right, and the third thing we're going to talk about is classic Robert Cialdini, which okay. is reciprocity. Yeah, the author of Influence. Influence, colon, The Psychology of Persuasion. Yes. And so, reciprocity is the idea that we have this human need and tendency to want to give something back when something is received. So, we feel a sense of obligation, and marketers use this a lot in a number of different ways. I've got many different examples here, as you can see on my notes. So, first example, classic, is the idea of handing out samples. Mm-hmm. So some people say that samples work because once we experience it, we come, become psychologically attached to it. But I think a bigger part of it is that once someone gives you something, once someone goes to the trouble of giving you this thing to try at Costco, you're going to be more likely to be like, Thin. actually, I would say at Costco, I feel this less. When I go to Whole Foods and they're offering a sample, and I can tell it's the person who actually baked that right. shortbread, yep. and she came all the way out here, and she's just trying to get her business off the ground. I end up buying the like $10 shortbread. <laughs> um, another example of reciprocity is when a salesman, a salesperson is overly familiar or friendly. Even if they've just been nice to you, you might feel the need to buy from them. So there was a funny Onion article. I don't know if you saw it. Um, and the title of it was Report Shame of Walking Out Without Buying Anything Drives 90% of Purchases at Small Businesses. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is so this is so right in old town. The, the Onion article goes on. According to our research, ninety percent of all transactions at independently owned shops throughout the nation, be they bakeries, used bookstores, or one of those places that sells unusual gifts and knickknacks, are motivated solely by the intense pangs of guilt experienced after making eye contact with the owner and realizing you'll have to walk past him or her at the register before you leave. <laughs> so, also another example from my soul trip holiday shopping this year is I wanted to get some fleece stretchy pants at this store and I walk in and I'm like, hey, do you have any fleece stretchy pants? And she's like, no, I don't think we do. I kind of described what I was looking for to her and she's like, mm, I don't think we do, but we do have these. And she like kind of walks me over there and I was like, oh, I don't want these pants, but I really feel like I need to buy these stupid <laughs> pants. But then I was like, no, because I had already done this research. I was like, no. No, I'm not going to give in to that feeling of reciprocity Good for here. You. And I did not buy the ugly pants that she was trying to sell me. <laughs> All she did was just like walk five feet and say, look at this. And I was like, oh, wow. I feel guilt. Okay, another example of reciprocity might be if a salesperson says that he or she'll give you a good deal when there's when their manager's back is turned. Little nudgy nudge. Uh, loyalty campaigns are another example of reciprocity. Yeah. So I've got more key fobs than keys for loyalty programs right now. So CVS, Harris Teeter, Anthropology, etc. Um, and perks for loyal customers through these programs uh, include like getting a discount or getting to shop earlier or attend private events, prize drawings, etc. Uh, you might actually get like a free report. Have you ever heard of this marketing I I, tactic, I, I Robert Brokamp? I don't know what company you could be referring to. Free trials are another example of, uh, of trying to play at reciprocity, like Hello Spotify. Uh, although I feel less obligated when I'm not dealing with a real human being, right? Like if it's all an online transaction and someone gives me something, if it were a person handing me something, then I would definitely feel that guilt. I feel yeah. less online. Yeah, I do too. I like the random free week of XM Radio that I get once in a while. Oh, I don't get that. If it's in your car, you get it. Every once in a while, they just turn it on. They expect you to want to buy it. But usually by the time the free week is up, I'm done with XM. But it's a really fun week. I like it. <laughs> That's like when we were a kid and you would every once in a while get a free a free, a free week of like the premium channels. Yes. And then you would watch all the movies on HBO. Yep. Yeah. Um, so bottom line, anytime a retailer does something nice for you, sorry, this is going to sound really grinchy, know that they want something in return, but you don't have to give it. All right, the next thing we're going to talk about is social proof. And social proof is everywhere in these in marketing. Um, these tactics take advantage of our need to go with the crowd and to feel validation and identify with things we aspire to. So it's about fitting in. No one wants to be the first person on the dance floor unless you're Robert Brokamp. Uh, I, I may, that may have happened at the last annual meeting. <laughs> so the most obvious example of social proof is online, where you'll see reviews for products before you buy them. I don't know if Amazon was the first to come up with this, but... They were the first that I noticed to have to have reviews, and I go to the review. If it's first thing I do when I buy something online, I look at the product. Does it generally look like what I'm looking for? Then I go straight to the reviews to see yeah. what people say. Um, social proof is also at play with celebrity endorsements for products, um, or even just ads. I mean, of pretty people. Like if there's an ad with a pretty person. Live it, living it up with this product, then you're like, oh man, that is a pretty person. I would like to be that pretty person. They look like they're having fun with that product. <laughs> That's also an example of social proof. Um, another example I remember as a kid is my grandmother used to love Home Shopping Network. Such a stereotype, but whatever. Live your truth, Grandma. And they would sometimes show a counter on the screen to show like yeah. how many people have bought that item. And as a little kid, I would just be transfixed 
fixed watching that counter because I would be like, is it going to hit 2,000? Is it going to hit 2,000? <laughs> you know, like, yay, as if that mattered. But um, Facebook also shows, it also uses social proof. Uh, for example, it'll show you when your friends have liked something uh, or when a retailer says they'll give you a discount if you refer a friend. That ha- I just I just took advantage of Kara Chambers' HelloFresh refer a friend discount, which was nice, and she, I assume, got a kickback. Um, these are all examples of social proof. So, interesting thing about product review is that uh, studies show that 70% of consumers say they look at product reviews before making a purchase, and that product reviews are 12 times more trusted than product descriptions from manufacturers. So we love a good we love a good review. Hmm. We love a good social proof. Did you read anything about whether the reviews are valid? I just read an article about a guy who was paid by a company to write reviews for restaurants that he never ate at. That's so funny. So, you know, Adrian, again, the the woman who was sitting next to me at work who suddenly was screaming about when does Black Friday end, um, she, we were talking about, because we were talking about this episode, and I was talking to her about social proof, and she's like, and what about the sponge? You'll just be on Amazon, it'll just be this stupid sponge, and it's got like 10,000 reviews. I'm not going <laughs> to believe that. Who goes to Amazon and reviews a sponge? She's, so, 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 if it were a loofah, it'd be different. I mean, come on. Uh, so she, she—that's a deep cut, bro. I don't know if people are going to remember that one. Um, so, so yeah. So she, so there is like because there are fake ones out there. So she was her thinking was that there's ten thousand reviews for a sponge. This has got to be fake. All of these reviews have to be fake to like bump it up, and so then she won't buy it. Like there's got to be the, there's this window of a good number of reviews. Yeah. But yeah, I, and people. I've seen that before, where people will say, "I was given." I was. They'll be upfront about it, and they'll disclose, um, like, "I was given this book to review." So I reviewed this book for Amazon. You know, they'll say in Amazon if they were given a free copy of the book, for example. Or I guess if you, if you disclose that someone gave it to you, and then they give an honest. Yeah, and then there's a whole verified purchase thing too. Um, but yeah, this article was about how this guy was able to make his shed the top-rated restaurant on Yelp. By writing fake fake reviews <laughs> and taking, taking stock pictures of food and things oh, like that. It sounds like so much effort. Yeah. But yeah. he used to be paid to do it, so. Yeah. yeah. All right. The last one we're going to talk about today is an actual physical store layout and things that they do in stores to get you to stick around. Because that's the whole goal. Is The thinking is, we want you to uh, stick around as long as possible, because the longer you stick around, the more likely you are to buy things. All right, so here's why store stores want us to stay in there longer, and that's because they want us to go just like a little crazy. <laughs> so, according to a study of brain scans by uh, some people at Bangor University in Wales, decision making is really exhausting. Rational decision making is exhausting, and after about 40 minutes of shopping, people stop being rationally selective, and instead they just begin shopping emotionally, which is uh, the point at which we accumulate about 50% of the stuff in our cart that we never intended to buy. Wow! So, stores want you to stay as long as possible so that they exhaust you mentally, so you just start going on a crazy spending spree. (laughs) Wear you down. Yeah. Uh, So, here are some general... So, with that in mind... Here is also just a number of general things uh, that stores do. Uh, they provide great big carts for you to push around because once your cart is full, you'll feel compelled to check out. Also, if you're holding a bunch of stuff, like that's one of my secrets for when I go to Marshalls or TJ Maxx because we all know that's like my Achilles heel is that I don't let myself pick up a cart because at some point I just look like you an have too idiot much stuff. holding all this stuff <laughs> and I'm dropping stuff everywhere. And that's when I'm like, okay, Allison, you got to leave now. Um, 
People tend to go counterclockwise when they enter a store. So if you imagine yourself like entering a department store, you're going to go to the right. Entering a grocery store, you're going to go to the right. Um, so sometimes you'll see very expensive items right there because that's a place that you're likely to notice. Or you might actually see really cheap items right as you enter a store, like like socks or travel mug. And these are called open the wallet items. And the idea is that once you start buying stuff. Even if it's just like a little, like a six pack of socks, you will then just keep buying more and more stuff. You gotta get, you gotta like. If I'm gonna go to the register, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna keep buying more stuff. The 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 dam's already leaking here. Uh, Grocery stores will put staples along the outside aisles, forcing you to cover the whole store. This is kind of everyone. Maybe everyone knows this one, but. Fruits and vegetables are going to be on way over here on this side of the store. Dairy is going to be way over on the other side of the store. The bakery's yeah. back here. The butcher's back here. And that's trying to Where's get you. Where's the candlestick maker? <laughs> so that's going to try and get you to go to cover as much ground in the store as possible. They also um, put flowers. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you enter a grocery store, there'll often be flowers right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so you start associating freshness. With the store and produce immediately. I, th- I thought about that last week when we talked about smells. Yeah. Because I associate like fresh cut flowers and all that with very pleasant memories, and I figure that's a good smell to hit once you hit enter into the store. Yeah, yeah, maybe that too. It's better than putting like French cheeses well, right as soon well, as like you the, enter like the, the butcher store. shop. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or the butcher, yeah. Eye level in a store is a very prima location because as humans, apparently we're so lo- we're so lazy, we don't want to <laughs> squat or reach up. So, uh, if you're going to look at eye level, that's where the more expensive stuff, generic, is going to be lower. Or, if you're a kid, that's where they're going to put all the stuff that's going to appeal to kids at their eye level. So, supposedly, if you go to a store, a grocery store and go to the cereal aisle, the sugary cereals are going to be kid eye level and lower, and the adult cereals are going to be at our eye level. Here's another crazy thing that stores do. Uh, if you have ever been lost or disoriented in a mall or store... It was on purpose? Ikea. It was on purpose. (laughs) It's called the Gruen Transfer, and it's named after this mall architect named Victor Gruen. And basically, stores like that are trying to slow you down and make you lost on purpose so that you'll shop more. So really? I think, yeah, I think IKEA is the best example oh, of yeah, this, totally. right? Whenever you walk through an IKEA, you're just like, "What? I know that maybe side tables come after couches. I don't know where I am." Um, Big department stores too. Macy's. I, I felt disoriented at Macy's this year. Yeah, did yeah. you? Oh, old man, bro, camp getting lost in the Macy's. We're gonna hear the name over the PA, Mrs. Bro Camp. Your husband is lost and looking for you. Please take him out of the lingerie section, yeah. please. Uh, similarly, when you're shopping, and maybe maybe this happened to you at Macy's, if you suddenly come across a traffic jam and people are trying to navigate a tight spot, and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, what idiot decided to put a display right here in the middle middle of the aisle?" Yep, that was no idiot. That idiot did it on purpose to. It's a speed bump in the store to slow you down oh. and get you to to notice things around you to buy. Yeah. Gotcha. Here's a bonus crazy story that I also ran into. According to National Geographic, sales records indicated that customers bought more bananas if their peels were colored Pantone color 120752, which is called Buttercup, rather than the brighter Pantone color 130858, which is called Vibrant Yellow. So, banana growers responded by planting their crops under conditions tailored to produce the Buttercup colored banana. Wow. So, if marketers have figured out what color the banana needs to be to get you to buy it, (laughs) 
you should assume that every store decision was scientifically engineered to get you to spend money. That's pretty amazing. Thanks to Harry's for supporting Motley Fool Answers. This holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shave sets that make perfect gifts. Sets come with German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles, and you can personalize it with an engraving. Wow. Gift sets start at just $10 and make great stocking stuffers. I can tell you they look like a swanky gift, and Bro will tell you that the shave is incredible. It is the closest shave I ever had and on top of it, I didn't cut myself, which is quite an accomplishment. As a special offer for fans, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you go to harrys.com fool. This offer is only available for the holidays. So, this holiday, give Harry's and give handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping. To get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last, go to harrys.com fool. Voracious appetite to hear about other people's <laughs> holiday traditions. That's true. Every year he wants our listeners to email us. I don't get that the, many responses. I know, and you maybe get like one response and you're so heartbroken. And so, employing the tactic of reciprocity this year, Bro is back again to try to get you guys to send him your holiday traditions. Well, so we have a guest here. Hi, Ed. Hi. Yes, Ed Gogren. Yes. Uh, and he is a technical project manager here at the Molly Fool. So Ed came and told me what he does for his nieces, and he'll describe it. But I loved it because I think I'm actually going to suggest that my mom do it as well. Ed, tell us what you do with your nieces every year for Christmas. Well, it's um, you know it's an interesting story. My nieces are now in high school at this age, uh, and I started this about ten years ago. I've been working at the Fool for about twelve. And about 10 years ago, um, I realized that my it's very expensive to buy gifts and send them across country for my nieces. Um, you know, they're two nieces, and they're about two years apart. So what I started doing is I would take a gift card, and that I started off with a $25 gift card, and uh, for each of them, and I said. I gave the, wrote up a nice little card using crayons and things like that, and made sure it was all <laughs> which you know, we have here at the Fool, by the way, <laughs> in abundance. Yes, uh, but I took those uh, took those cards and the gift cards, and I sent them to each of them, and I said, "Can you do me a favor? Can you take this money and buy a gift for your sister?" And you know, vice versa. You know, so they each got one and the same note, basically. And so my sister would take them out to the store, and they would go. They started at the dollar store and the thrift store and things like that, and they would buy you know things for each other. And they 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 loved it. Um, the first uh, Christmas that I did this, I called on Christmas morning. I'm on the East Coast; they're on the West Coast. Um, I called and I said, "What you know? How was Christmas?" And my sister said, "Oh my God! The girls, the first thing they did Christmas morning." come running downstairs, grab the gifts that they got for each other, and handing them, shoving them at each other, <laughs> and saying, open this first, open this first. They were so excited. And, you know, for me, it's a great opportunity for um, kids to learn the value of money, um, learn how, you know, spending money, like, okay, you have $25 to spend, and now all of a sudden you only have $10 to spend because you bought a $15 item. So... My elder niece, Kate, has gotten into, she's become, uh, in high school, she's become much more sort of politically aware. She's on Facebook, and she's very, um, she's got opinions on different causes and whatnot. And I said, 
okay, well, last year I wrote and I said, anything left over, feel free to donate to whatever cause you want. And she was just taken aback by that. She was mm. like, I never thought about it. <laughs> That's so, great. That's yeah. awesome. I love it for my mom because my mom was at this point, with the, my kids are all teenagers. She has troubles determining what the kids oh, yeah. want. But my kids do like to shop. So I could totally see them being in the idea of getting the money and sh- being the ones responsible for buying the gifts for the other kid. And then that whole process of like, open up this gift that I got for you that, that grandma paid for. I just, the whole experience, <laughs> yeah. I could see how it's very appealing to kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, they yeah. say it's the thought that counts, but honestly, it is. It's the giving. You know, for my nieces, it's the giving. They're, they're great kids. Um, and I really, you know, I, I love them to death. But at the same time, it's like, you know, again, it's easier financially for me to not have to ship these things across country. Amazon, obviously, AMZN, uh, makes things easier. Did you just ticker that? I just tickered that, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so Amazon makes things easier. You know, the, the world of need a disclaimer shipping. now. Yeah. Whoops, sorry. We may um, buy and sell, have formal recommendations for, against the stocks you heard here. Don't buy and sell, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> sorry. Um, no, but so, you know, online makes it easier to ship things at this point um, than, yeah. than when, you know, I started this tradition. But honestly, I think it's, it's, you know, it's one of my favorite parts of Christmas is being able to call and they are so excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. All right. It. So there you have it. Bro was able to steal one holiday tradition from someone this year. Can he steal yours, please? So drop us a line. Care of bro, so he can... Actually, bro at fool.com is a thing. You oh, can't... I didn't know that. <laughs> you okay, so you can send it to bro at fool.com. Of course, you can also email us at answers at fool.com, and we'll make sure bro sees it. And so, <laughs> so he can steal all of your holiday traditions. Please, please, just one holiday tradition. That's all we ask. It will feed bro for a whole year. That's true. Yeah. All right, well, that's the show. And if you're out shopping and you're thinking, boy, I sure would love to give our friends at Motley Fool Answers a present, then may I suggest leaving us a review on iTunes? It always is the right size. And um, it helps uh, raise our profile on iTunes and we'll bring more people to the show. So, And it also brings us joy to hear your feedback it really about does. us. And we filled all our five stars. Can you believe it? That's great. On iTunes, it's five. you can rate up to oh, five yeah. stars. And we've, we've filled all five of our stars, which nice. is, I don't know. And, and the fun part is that after people give give a review, yeah. they can then you know get in touch and they can say you know write to bro at fool.com and say hey check this out go read my review I want you to read this one first. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. I like it. yeah, yeah. So make it your holiday tradition to leave <laughs> leave us good reviews. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's a place where bro and I can align up pretty easily. All right. So again, our email is answers at fool.com or bro at fool.com. I didn't know that. Uh, the show is edited reciprocatively by it's fine. Let's just roll with it. Rick Engdahl. <laughs> Uh, Ed, thank you for joining us. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. <laughs>